Hi, I'm Brianne Showman. I am an old crazy runner, and I'm also a physical therapist and running coach. Welcome to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. This is Fundy, the craziest of the crazy runners, and I've got my cousin Nicholas, the oldest but getting faster of the crazy runners. And you're going to want to stick around for Brianne Showman, uh, another physical therapist joining the conversation, talking about how to be stronger and a better runner. Be sure to rate and review the podcast, but more importantly, be sure to tell a friend and share Old Crazy Runners with all of your old crazy friends and maybe even some young crazy friends. Old or crazy, we don't care. One or the other, both, neither. Runner, just <laughs> spread the word. We have some great things to talk about. And if you'd like to get out there and put in the miles, this is the show for you. And be sure to head on over to Strava and join the Old Crazy Runners podcast Strava Run Club, but steer clear of John Jervis. He insinuated that I'm old. You are old. You have well, to own Well, damn that. it. Oh, man. So I was putting I comment, in the contact information of a new teammate on my phone and inadvertently dialed her. That's that's old. <laughs> You're old. I'm old. It's what happens. Oh, man. So I made a comment that after Seabrook, uh, today's run was a little bit of a struggle to keep the heart rate down, probably right. because my legs were noodles and didn't have much behind them. And he said that I probably needed a little bit more recovery due to my age. Well, you can look at this a couple ways. Um, one way is you could go, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and the other way is to do a lot of what I've been doing, which is I went to the gym on Sunday, and then I went to the gym today. My first day back running is tomorrow. So I've spent the last couple of days working that soreness out, working that lactic acid buildup, getting that, getting that exhausted and then ready to, uh, to run again. Are you telling me you're trying to use science? And I am going to be on this always. <laughs> I am the biggest convert. I, it's going to be terrible, but I am serious. Lifting has changed everything about how I'm running right now. All right. Well, actually I'm going to do a, uh, I, I don't have a gym membership. I'm not good at the gym, but I do have weights at home. So I'm going to be doing that first thing tomorrow morning. I recommend it. I think, uh, you know, we were kicking around what to talk about today. And one of the things that I wanted to highlight was looking at the Hal Higdon training. And I know that you ran the novice two for yep. your training plan to, uh, for the Eugene marathon. And the yep. next level up is the intermediate one. Mm -hmm. And really the only difference between the two of them is there's two rest days on the novice two. And there's one rest day on the novice one. And that, Second rest day is uh, changed over to another three to five mile low, small run, uh, zone two, just yep. miles on your feet sort of run. So as part of the plan for Scotty G and I, we decided to kind of do a hybrid. So we're going to do the, no, uh, the intermediate with only the one day of rest, but that second day of rest, instead of being another run, that's another day in the gym. So how many days are you going to run then? Four okay. days running. Two days in the gym, one day yep. rest. Gotcha. The intermediate gotcha. is five days running, one day gym, CrossFit, whatever, and then one day rest. Um, but 
I've not necessarily seen, or a better way to say it is I'm seeing benefits without having to add a whole lot of miles. And I'm just concerned that, you know, my body really doesn't want to add a lot of miles right now. I'm trying to be, add as few as, as necessary to keep that, setting those goals out there and getting there. Yeah, so it'll be interesting once you get up to those 18, 19, 20-mile training runs. Um, that is when I fell off the wagon with my weight training because I was just too tired. I was just like, uh, and, and it was a mistake. I'm not justifying it. I'm saying that I was just so tired. I just like, I needed more rest. You know, and that's the trade-off. Um, you know, you got to push yourself, but you can't get to the point where you're not actually getting any benefit because you've just exhausted everything. Exactly. So I am going to do something similar. I'm not going to be doing a marathon training plan, but I'm going to just do a typical like three or four one day, a couple five milers, and then a long day on the weekend, eight to yeah. 10, 11, 12. You know, that's all that Scott, Scotty G and I did leading up to the Eugene. It's just a consistent, you know, during the week. And we did one 12 miler. All we, we did 10 milers every single weekend, just bam, just knocked them out. Yep. Totally and for the ready. listeners out there, for the half marathon. For the half marathon, exactly. Yep. Uh, knowing that that was, you know, the farthest that we were going to push it up to. And so one thing I've also been thinking about is when you did your training plan, you, you were regimented. You, you put it into place. And you ran the plan. I, I think much- you have to do the plan. Well, so my question about that is the plan is twofold. There's the Hal Higdon, what runs are you running when? Yep. And then there's the Ambi Burfitt, what sort of paces should you be targeting if you want to have this as your ultimate goal? So if you wanted to run a sub four uh, marathon, you need to be doing your easy runs in the 940 range. That's, that's his metrics. Yeah, so what I did is I used the Hal Higdon for the regiment, like how many miles each day. But having done the coach training program and read Amby Burfitt's book, I kind of knew what I needed to be training at. And right. I also knew that I was on the cusp of that four hour, right? I knew it was going to be close. Like if I really wanted to put in a 355 or a 350, I would have had to be doing my zone two heart rate sub 930 and it just wasn't happening for the most part well that's true and i also wonder if you were you actually trained yourself to the pace that you ran i mean if you think about it you were only two seconds it's a little bit of chicken and egg yeah yeah it's it's a little chicken and egg and and i think i would have i i would have hit my mark if i would have continued the weight training i think it was more the weight training falling off than actual what i did on a running on the running side of things. I I would agree, but I would also add that I think that there's an inherent limitation in the barefoot structure in that if you, actually a better way to say that is to bring in the stride, which is always reevaluating my current critical power. And so after I perform well, that it increases that critical power. So it's continually edging me up as I show that I can meet those metrics. So, gotcha, you know, yep. it, it expected me to run the Seabrook in whatever critical power and pace and blah, blah, blah. And if I did that mm-hmm. or better, then it's like, okay, good. And then it ratchets you up. Gotcha. And now my training is a little bit harder 
And yeah. I, I, I think that with the barefoot, if you're not careful enough, you, you'll literally train yourself into those parameters. You'll probably run right on top of it, which is what you did. And I think instead of being two seconds shy, you could have been two seconds fast from a yeah. 909907, but you weren't going to radically change that, that yeah. gap that you were working in. No, and, and to be much faster, I would have had to be much more regimented on my pacing and increasing of that pacing and, and targeting something like the, the stride targets for you, right? Which I wasn't. Yeah. I, I was going in, hey, this is my goal, but ultimately I just want to run a strong marathon because it was my first one. Yeah, exactly. And I know that I get to come into this with uh, much more uh, color around how I want to approach this. And it's really yep. been eye-opening to see the value of training to power versus training to pace. So people that are out there listening, I think it's worthwhile to take a moment and talk about the stride, not necessarily what it is and all of the metrics it gives you, because I know it gives you a ton, but the physical, the physicality of while you're running with it and the display on your watch and how that affects what you're doing in the moment. It has completely changed the way that I go about my runs. Um, it's really allowed me to run on feel more than anything else. Um, so my initial screen when I set up a workout, it's very simple. It's a big number. It's the uh, goal, critical power that I'm looking for. And if it's white, then I'm doing great. If it's red, it's going to have an up arrow saying I'm running too slow or a down arrow saying I'm running too fast. And, and that's then, while you're running. While I'm running, that's gotcha. real time on my watch. I can just look down and see what it thinks my critical powers. And I can tell you that if you turn a corner, that drop in speed, just as you navigate that corner, you can w watch your thing go from, you know, a 260 critical power to a 170. I mean, it, it's that, it knows that, that sort of fluctuation. But what I've noticed is I don't look at my watch nearly as much. I don't even, mm -hmm. I have no idea what my pace is. When I went by you at Seabrook, you're like, what's your pace? I'm like, I don't know. I'm right in my stride zone. That's all I know. You know what I your know. pace was? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Faster than yours. <laughs> Faster than mine. Uh, yeah, so but, for but people. I, uh, let me, to, to, to wrap it up, the other, yeah. the, the last little bit of it, I've really keyed in on my physiology. And I can know immediately when I'm out of zone now. Gotcha. I mean, I'll be running. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'll look at my watch and I'm like, you know, that's, it's telling me to, to drop it back down. I'm like, ah, I knew it. I knew it. Mm -hmm. And that has been probably the biggest influence that it's had is it's really allowed me to just feel my own running. And then afterwards I get to go down and digest all the numbers when I'm done. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong. So it's the, I would imagine that the biggest benefit is more on your training days with that critical power than the actual race day. Although the race day, it is a reference to, to fall back on. Absolutely. And I treat race day the same as uh, training in that it gives me a target. Like right now, if I were to look at my stride, it would say, if you run at this critical power, you're going to finish the marathon in 354 right now. So it's got me 355, something like that. And it'll tell me what power I've got to run on average to hit that, that metric. So I've got a mark to hit. And gotcha. when race day comes, like I'm going to put that in as my target mark. And then I'll be 5% plus or minus that. And then as I'm running, I know that I'm going to be somewhere within that zone. And I won't even look at my, my pace. I won't even look at it. Okay. 
Well, because uh, I've learned yeah. to trust it because it's been it's been on on fire every time. It, it's it has not let me down. All right. Well, I might give it a try then. I'm going to try to get a new uh, half marathon PR. I highly recommend it. I think there's a lot of benefit in being able to really allow for those inf- that information to come in afterwards and just al- and learn how to be who you are as a runner and 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 get into that. So I think uh, this is a good time to switch to actually the runs we did in Seabrook. And what I was running uh, with was uh, I was using a, a different metric called uh, critical heart failure. <laughs> I was going up those fucking hills. Too much Japan. On, on the mostly flat course as it oh, was sold. wow. The yeah. front page of the Seabrook relay said, beautiful, mostly flat course. It was beautiful. And I bet yes. 51% was flatter downhill, but 49% of it was a motherfucker. Yeah, there was definitely more climb uh, throughout uh, both of our legs. We both had runner three, and everybody had a lot of rolling hills. It was not mostly flat by, by no. any stretch of the means. Those people need to go to Sylvie's Island, <laughs> <laughs> maybe run the Eugene Trail. That's mostly flat. Yeah, this it yeah, was a lot of fun. Was, it was great. It was a ton of fun, and Just, uh, some some runners had uh, ten miles total. And we had uh, almost seventeen. That was a big uh, difference. Yeah, I had as many miles in my first run as uh, runner five had total. Yeah. We did. Ooh, man. Yeah. And, Those you know, it's just the way runs. the exchanges line up. And that's one of the things that's great about yeah. relays is, is each leg is a little bit different. Yeah. So a uh, few things before we move on. Big shout out to uh, Johanna for joining us at the last minute. Shout out Absolutely. for Bill from coming up from California and joining us. Super fun van. Uh, Chris Stapleman jumping in at the last minute. We had so many swaps at the last minute. It was insane. Uh, so super fun van. And uh, yeah, it was good. I love the one days. I love the one days too. I hate to say it. I, I think I love them more than the HTC. Oh, I know. That, that immediate turnaround where you don't hand it off to another van. There's yeah. a moment there right after I got done with my first run where I'm like, Okay, so we'll hand off, and then I'll have some time. I'll reorganize my bag, get all this dirty. I'm like, wait a minute. No, I can't do that. I got I to eat right now. We're not going to hand off to another van. No, <laughs> I'm yeah. going to be running soon. It's the best. Bam. Bam. Turn, turn around around. So we got Windy River next, and really looking forward to giving that a second try. That's going to be fun. So uh, one quick side note. I think uh, that I did the calculations. That how uh, Seabrook was seventy four miles total. That's what they say. I am ninety nine percent sure that Gene Dykes would have beat both of our teams running all by himself the whole thing. Oh, I I don't doubt that. <laughs> I don't. I mean, we year old Gene Dykes we, would just crush us. We might have given him a run for the money as a team. We were like an eight thirty pace. And thank you, Mark Scott, for bringing that way down. Uh, but that Gene just, would be sub eight, wouldn't he? he well, I, I mean, seventy four. I mean, maybe. I mean, like I'm saying, we might have <laughs> given. I said we might have given him a run for his money. Yes, it's might as close have. as close we would have been within a half an hour. Woo. And yeah, it was. Uh, he probably could have. Gene's the machine. Get out Gene there and get it done. Gene is the machine. Oh man. So, uh, Brianna Showman. So what I love about Brianna is that she knows everything about the foot and ankle. And I know nothing about it. 
I know that mine hurts right now after <laughs> running all those hills. I do also know that um, I pay a lot more attention to my overall gait and pushing off properly and how that influences that whole motion up through your knee and your hip uh, after having a chance to talk with Brianna and really understand so much more about that. And my favorite thing was where she talks about the foot being a tripod. So much useful information. You're going to love it. Let's get to it. Brianne Showman, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and talk with you guys. Uh, I am really excited as well because I definitely identify as an injured runner trying to power my way through the aches and pains of uh, just getting old and having been uh, dumb as, <laughs> as a young kid. That does catch up to us eventually. And uh, as a physical therapist, this is probably uh, all of your demographic listening to this podcast right here. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you first become interested in the physical therapy side of things? Did you come into it as a runner or was it just a general interest in physical therapy? Yeah, so I am one of the rare few that actually went from high school into college knowing exactly what they wanted to do and never changed course. Um, I was a runner in high school. Before that, I played soccer growing up. Um, so like any athlete, I had my fair share of injuries. I went to physical therapy. Um, and I knew going into college, I wanted something in the medical field, but I could also, I also see, and this was back in 98, 99 that I was making these decisions that doctors were already being very impersonal. It was very much in and out of the room. And I wanted something where I could stay around active individuals and build relationships with them rather than just being like, I see you for five minutes and then you're gone. Now, in that uh, five minutes, what was the type of interaction that you were getting as well that you felt was not up to your expectations? I've seen it more over the years, or my eyes have been opened even more over the years, but like those interactions are just, were even then, were very much just like, what's wrong with you? What are your symptoms? Here's a pill. Here's a shot. Here's a X, Y, and Z to, to cover the symptoms of it. Not really figuring out like, how do we get this person back to their normal function? Rather, you know, it was just how do we get this person to function somehow? Yeah, I think uh, we all experience the same things. You know, there are great doctors that will sit and talk through stuff, but a lot of times the doctors are just like, here's a pill, you know, that'll make the pain go away or whatever. And obviously that doesn't really <laughs> fix anything. Um, and so. You know, I think uh, I had hernia surgery last year, so doctors are great for just fixing those things. Um, but when you've got those chronic issues, um, not a fan of the medical establishment and what they're trying to <laughs> Absolutely. accomplish. Absolutely. Yes, surgeons are needed for some things, for sure. So how do you go about recognizing when um, you, the focus has been on the symptoms and not necessarily the problem? And what are ways as a physical therapist that you start to kind of bridge that with uh, the people that you're working with? Yeah. So what I really started noticing, I'm in the cash pay world now. I was in the insurance world for 10 years prior to transitioning on my own. And what I really started noticing with people is like, I was doing the same things with these people every time. I was educating them in the same way. And this started to help me realize like, if we just didn't sit crappy, move crappy, do all these things to our bodies in bad ways in the first place, like 
we won't have a lot of these issues. So I really, and in the physical therapy world with insurance, it's very much like, well, let's just, almost like physicians, let's treat the symptoms, let's get you back out the door. Let's not care that the actual hip is causing your foot issue or, or whatever else. And um, I just started seeing these patterns. I started realizing like people were coming back to me for the same things because these patterns weren't being corrected. And it really helped me to want to transition and do things a little bit differently. So that's really interesting. So I, I think uh, I've been to physical therapy. I know Nicholas has. I've been to it with my son after ACL surgery. And, you know, it's very focused on, you know, the exercises to strengthen weak places and stuff. But where, where would you diverge or enhance that course of action that we might not see at, you know, I have, uh, just so we can get sued, I'll say that I have Kaiser Permanente <laughs> <laughs> and uh, go to their physical therapist. And they did a fine job, um, probably didn't work super well because I didn't do the exercises like I was supposed to. Yeah, that's kind of key. But here or there. Yeah, no, well, yeah, exactly. Don't blame me. <laughs> yeah. The plan didn't work because I didn't know. Okay, let's let Brianne talk, Nicholas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> In all honesty, my, my, my general thought behind people not doing their exercises or if they, you would do them if they worked. So I'll give you that. <laughs> okay, I win. <laughs> <laughs> um. What I normally find is like, not that strengthening exercises are bad because if there's weaknesses, we need to strengthen those weaknesses. A lot of what happens, and I feel where the disconnect is, is that a lot of our injuries are due to movement patterns, movement compensations that we've learned over the years from past injuries, from just habits we've picked up. Well, we can, if we continue strengthening those patterns, we're going to basically strengthen a pattern that's getting us injured all the time. What we need to do is take a step back, look at the full body, figure out what compensations are going on and address those so we aren't strengthening, just continuing to strengthen these bad patterns. Yeah, and that's something that I definitely uh, can resonate with because that was much of what was identified when I had uh, a knee injury last year and going in. And I think I had a, uh, I was very comfortable and very pleased with the response I got from my physical therapist and, and the focus that she put in on, on addressing the problem and getting me back. And actually part of that was, uh, you know, kind of doing the knuckle wraps on the skull. Like, you don't know what you think, you know, dumbass. that's why you're here. Listen to me. And the best thing that she said, especially around the exercises, she's like, you know, you can do them or you not. I don't, I don't care because you know what? My knee doesn't hurt. <laughs> not at all it doesn't hurt at all so you do whatever you want to do um and following her guidance learned an awful lot about what i need to do to be uh less injury prone and then to get past the injury i'm at and part of that was scaling back what i thought was going to be a pretty aggressive 2022 because i'm still getting through that that injury and just recognizing that and not trying to go just all out again does that sound familiar? Do you have people like that in your It does. And I, very, like, I love that you recognize, like, maybe I need to take a step back because I don't know how often I hear it's like, well, I have this knee pain and I have this marathon in four weeks and I'm going to be running it. I'm like, well, I can't tell you, like, I can advise what <laughs> you should do, but I'm like, you're going to do what you're, you want to do. Um, but yeah, recognizing that and being willing to take that step back rather than making things worse is, is huge. Uh, well. 
I don't, I don't know if I was really given a choice, quite honestly. <laughs> but uh, it's good to be where I'm at because it's the right place. Absolutely. So what are some of the typical, when you see people with, with uh, injuries that are being caused by, you know, bad repetitive habits, whether that be running form or daily habits, what are, what are some of the more common things that you see uh, that might um, make everybody listening going, oh, yeah, that's me? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, just thinking about, you know, we can all get a run, like, well, I don't want to dive into the like running technique debate right now because there's a lot of stuff around there. We can we can go into that. But just kind of thinking like off like when we're talking strengthening and things that are neglected, the big thing I see a lot of times with runners is what I call or what's called a hip drop. Basically, they're standing on one when they land on one leg, that other side of that pelvis drops pretty jarringly pretty fast. Every time we do that, um, like forces go down that leg in a diff- in a way that they shouldn't. So we can create hip issues, IT band, knee, foot and ankle, like you name it. Um, when we're talking compensations, this is where kind of a frustration lies for me is a lot of people are like, oh, I'm, well, I'm doing leg lifts. I'm doing clamshells. I'm doing all this stuff. Well, is, are you, and so I'll ask them, you know, are you doing anything standing where you're looking at like, how is that the pelvis being controlled? Because if you aren't really addressing what's happening when you're standing on a single leg, then you're, you're not going to, to uh, make that progress you want. Um, the other big thing, thinking mechanically, I love foot and ankle. I do a lot of stuff foot and ankle. Um, I know we, like, we always talk about pronation, overpronation, all this stuff. Is it good? Is it bad? We do need some pronation. Like our foot needs that for shock absorption. Overpronation is what we don't want. Um, but we also, through the pronation, through pronation, we want to learn how to control it. And I think where that's more the disconnect of people is people pronate, um, it causes injuries or they overpronate, it causes injuries because no one's taught their foot how to actually control that movement. If we can learn how to control it, then we have a lot more control up the chain. So I'd like to back up just a little bit here if we could. So when, when you were talking about um, the hip going up and down, so basically what I heard is that as much as possible, let's say we, we, let's say we put our fingers on our right hip and our left hip as, as we're running, we want that line between the two fingers to be as stable as possible. Yes. The unsupported leg should drop a little bit, Mm -hmm. but it shouldn't drop drastically. So typically we say like three to five degrees, which is very small. Um, it's when we see that drastic, like huge angle is when we have a problem. And when we're talking about pronation, we're talking about the the ankle kind of collapsing in a little bit as we're landing and pushing off. Is that correct? Correct. Look, I'm a doctor, Nicholas. I got two <laughs> things right. You're just reading from a link. I know how your eyes work. I can see it. <laughs> Send the certificate over. I'm a certified doctor. So uh, <laughs> one of the things that um, I noticed in the health app on my um between you know, the Apple Watch and the uh, iPhone is the walking asymmetry. So how would that relate necessarily to this conversation or is that a different metric? Um, no, it's still probably between walking and running, like the movement patterns are a little bit different. But if you're noticing asymmetries when you're walking, they're probably showing. Oh, oh sorry. 
they're probably showing up when you're running as well. Um, and anytime, say, we have maybe a 60-40 imbalance where we're putting like 6% of our weight on one leg, 40% on the other, and there's this imbalance, anytime we have those imbalances, muscles are firing differently and we can create injury. So we want to be as close to 50-50 as we can. What would be... Um, so I have, uh, I have, I have a Garmin and I have the running chest strap that I run with intermittently just to kind of check on heart rate and stuff, but it does the, the symmetry and usually it'll give me like a 5248, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little out of symmetry. Is that in the acceptable range? What, what would be an acceptable range to really avoid injury? And I know that's kind of a hard question to ask, but roughly. Yeah, I would say that'd be an acceptable range, especially because all um, devices are going to have some sort of error built in them anyway. That too, I don't know specifically what their numbers as far as what their error numbers are, but most likely it's like a two to three yeah. percent difference with you know with their error. So if we're you know on our devices and we're looking, where what is that percentage difference that would come up where you'd be like, oh, you really need to take a look, like. Where it would raise concern. I say anything above like a 60-40. Okay. Is where I would start looking. Which is a pretty big difference. It is. So it even is. like a 55-45 is really probably okay. 55-45 I would still say is okay. Um, okay. And yeah, pushing much more than that, it's, we're getting to a big difference there. I want to know more about... Um, how to strengthen and improve your ankle stability because um, I think that that is actually probably the uh, genesis of the issues I've been having over the last several <laughs> years is rolled my right ankle. I've rolled my left ankle, I've had some strains and tendons. And I think I've just kind of uh, just tightened up. First and foremost with, anyone I work with, especially runners, I'm always going to see what their, essentially their foot control is. Cause I want to always see what that foundation on the ground is looking at like first. So I'm going to take them through a series of exercises or movements for their feet to really see what's going on there. Um, the first one is, and you can kind of do this while you're standing there is finding the tripod of your foot. So essentially our most powerful point where we're most um, stable or most controlled and where we actually help our glutes fire is what we call the tripod of our foot, where the heel just behind the big toe and just behind the small toe have equal weight distribution. We want to be able to find that point because we need to be able to hit that point when we're running. Um, from there, I'm also, we're going to then go into like, what is your single leg control look like? Since anytime we're running, you're on a single leg. Um, so we're going to just see like, what does that single leg control look like? How controlled is that? And is that something we need to address first before anything else? Um, and then from there, depending on how that control is, then we'll start adding in like, um, I'll start doing things, working the vestibular system a little bit with head turns, body movements, things like that. Because on the trail, we're never just looking at a single spot. We're looking around places. Um, we have to be able to like be able to have our body moving this way while our leg is going the other direction as we're going around technical things. Um, on the road, same thing. We're never looking straight at the ground. We're looking at stuff around us all the time or stuff is moving. So we need to be able to control ourselves 
with all this external stuff going on. So training the vestibular system is also going to be super important. And then from there, there's a lot of different progressions we can go to gain more stability in the foot and ankle. Essentially, anything standing on a single leg is going to start working on that. Um, but then really challenging your side to side movements, because that's an area that we don't challenge a lot. So um, I'll have do people do things like what I call curtsy lunges or basically like diagonal patterns in order to like really challenge those side to side movements of the foot and ankle. Um, and then also we always want to make sure the mobility of the ankle is good too, because a lot of times that stiffens up. And if that's not good, um, we can do a lot of things to, to work on that um, from a mobility standpoint too. It's really interesting when you're talking about the, the tripod of the foot. So I would assume this is where that pronation comes in because if your foot is over pronating, then instead of pushing off equally from the big toe, little toe area, you're pushing off just from the big toe and uh, assume that's where overcompensation and a lot of injuries come from. Yes, um, we do need to push off that big toe, but we don't want to be so far onto that big toe that we're almost doing um, what called what is considered a heel whip where that heel kind of turns inward. Um, Cause when we do that one, we're setting ourselves up for injury, but two, that's also one of the reasons we get bunions and things like that is because we're constantly pushing, like almost pushing that toe to the side rather than coming straight off of it. What are some of the things you might see in uh, like a shoe wear pattern that might start to, you know, have you hone in on, on what a runner's, form issues are? Great question there. And some of this is going to vary on if someone's wearing orthotics, how stable their shoe is, that sort of thing. Um, but ultimately, when we land, um, when we heel strike, our, if you ever notice running shoes are a little bit angled on that outside edge, it's because that's technically where our foot should hit. So we should land a little bit on the outside of the heel um, when we're coming down on that heel strike. Um, ultimately. When we're, let me back up just a second or just put this disclaimer in there. Ultimately, when we're looking at running technique, we want to land a little bit more midfoot than we do heel strike, but um, just kind of to explain traditional running shoes, that angle is there for a reason. Um, from there, we want as even of wear pattern as possible across the bottom of that shoe. So we shouldn't be wearing out the inside or the outside excessively. It should be pretty even um, throughout that bottom of the shoe because that means we are getting that foot flat on the ground throughout that entire motion rather than leaning one way or the other. So uh, when she mentioned uh, insoles, Nicholas, do you want to tell her your insole story <laughs> from your physical therapist commenting on that? Uh, well, I have a, a, a couple fun insole stories. Yeah. So I had, um, I went in and just did the Dr. Scholl's stand on the mat thing just to see. And I, they, you know, they put me towards the top end. Um, not top, top end, but like the, I had a pretty flat foot apparently. And so I was wearing their, uh, heel cup ones. Uh, they're decent, you know, it's comfortable. I didn't mind them. And, uh, so the beginning of last year I was like, well, I don't, are they, are they really helping? So I took them out and ran from January until June without them. And then it had that injury. And as I went into the physical therapist and explained that progression, She's like, why? Why? Why did you stop wearing the insoles? You, you need them. 
<laughs> you should go get more. But don't go buy those. Go get a different brand. So yeah, I, get a real uh, brand. I run in super feet, which um, I, I really, really enjoy, except for when I forget to put them in my shoe and then run a half marathon with no insoles. Not even the shoe brand insoles. Not even the shoe, just their <laughs> shoe. comfortable that seam on the bottom. There was a, a pretty good blister. There's some photos. I may, I may have injured myself <laughs> mildly. It was mild. Uh, but I think it is important to recognize that we, you know, we all do have uh, our limitations. And I, I'm curious if I may have had a, a long time problem with a flat foot that was exacerbated by an injury to the tendons that are actually part of creating that arch and just kind of made what was bad worse and that was all the more reason to stay with an insole to help support that and at a very poorly timed time decided to go yeah i don't need it so one thing i wanted to to mention uh because nicholas brought it up is that um so you have a an online free master class um that basically a three-step system that helps runners with foot and ankle issues get back to racing so i'd love to hear you Talk about that for people listening. Very easy to remember. Runwithhappyfeet.com. Runwithhappyfeet.com. Not listen to nicholas.com. No. Runwithhappyfeet.com. No, look, look for the uh, link in the show notes. Yeah. So uh, kind of talk through that. And, and uh, you know, obviously people will go on there and watch the masterclass so you don't have to give out all the information. But kind of talk about why those three steps are important and, and the results that people could see from them by implementing this. Yeah, so um, I created this mainly because of a lot of people like are listening here and a lot of like you two is, you know, we've all dealt with physical therapists or coaches or things in the past who haven't really helped us get over the the bridge of where we need to go. Or it's like, or my big, one of my big frustrations is the ones who's like, all right, this ankle injury is cleared up. And then two months later, it's back again, because I'm back up to my mileage again, and then it goes away and then it's back again. What it tells me is we aren't breaking the cycle. We aren't figuring out the actual cause of it. So this masterclass really goes into a lot of that as far as when we're stuck in these cycles, what is going on with our bodies that is continuing to create these cycles? What are we not getting to? Um, so we, we talk more about in there, I talk about the big toe and how important getting control over that is. Um, we talk about movement patterns, kind of like I said earlier, we have these compensations and things like that. So I talk about movement patterns and how those are relevant to our injuries and why we need to fit, why we need to address those. Um, so it really dives into all these things that, in my mind, a physical therapist should address, but a lot of times are missing when they're working with people. What do you find is uh, like the most common, simplest thing that people over fifty can do to just help? maintain longevity with their uh, flexibility and mobility? Well, I'm going to say two things. One is just get up and move more. I think as, you know, we get in our careers, we get, we commute for jobs, we do all these things. We just start sitting more, we get more sedentary. So just moving your body more through its full ranges of motion um, and really challenging the motion rather than just like the motion I need to sit and stand and things like that. Um, but from an overall health standpoint, thinking of what our feet do for us, our foot is really our foundation. If we don't have control there, we aren't going to have any good control up the entire chain of the body. So feet issues or lack of control in the feet can cause knee, hip, low back, 
even shoulder issues. So the more control we can get over the feet, the better. Simplest thing you can do is go barefoot more. Um, shoes naturally shut the foot down. They don't let the foot work like it's meant to function. So the more you can be barefoot, just at home around your house, in your yard, whatever, um, that's automatically going to get those feet firing better than what they were before. Worked with a gentleman whose uh, dad was a doctor and his advice to him was spend all your money on mattresses, phones, and shoes. Cause those are the <laughs> things that you are on. <laughs> <laughs> advice <laughs> so that that's interesting so one of the things that's interesting is that uh my wife being japanese we don't wear shoes in the house you know she comes from a culture no shoes and kind of thinking about just the fact that you know in japan whenever people are home they're they don't have shoes on and they're walking around you know socks or whatever but basic fundamentally barefoot and um the vast different like i've met very few people in japan that have back problems you know, especially, especially older people, because they're just like barefoot all the time and they're getting up and down, sitting on the floor and, mm -hmm. you know, basically using their body as it was, as it was yeah. meant to be used. It's one of the fascinating things in that you bring that up is like, I'll talk to people all the time of, you know, it's because of my age that I can't squat any better or I can't get up and down from the floor and that sort of thing. I'm like, then what's the excuse for all the people over in China and Japan and all this stuff that do it until they die? Like, it's not an age thing. It's a you don't use it thing. That's something that I think really continues to need to be emphasized is a lot of the injuries that we're experiencing, and not to say that they are improperly diagnosed, but it's almost always related to a lack of strength somewhere mm -hmm. and either an overcompensation or a lack of ability to maintain and, and then, you know, an immediate strain and you have a, a break or a tear or something like that. And that the long-term solution is just that continued gradual increase in your motion, your range of activity, uh, and, you know, don't stop. Don't, you just can't stop. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, someone made a comment the other day about, <clears throat> he saw a video I put up on kind of a warm-up routine, and he's like, I'm whatever years old, like, definitely don't expect me to get my leg up that high. And I was like, don't use your age as an excuse. I'm like, I've seen 30 and 40 year olds that can't get their leg up this high just because like, it's a matter of using it. It's not a matter of, of age. And so, yeah, you nail it there. Like you just got to keep using it. So I'd like to switch over a little bit to some of the training you do mostly out of uh, selfish reasons. So I uh, just finished a marathon last week and uh, one of my bucket lists for next fall is to do a Spartan race. And uh, currently can probably do a couple pull-ups maybe. So <laughs> what is your, so what, what's your approach as you coach people for these obstacle races and, uh, you know, give us some examples of stupid people like me and how you work with them. <laughs> yeah. So for races, um, especially just kind of coming into it from a running background, Building up strength is going to be super important um, because you have different things like you have to carry. Um, you may have on the walls, you have to, you know, for the seven and eight foot walls, like you have to be able to jump to reach the top of it. So you do need to build up a little bit more power, strength, ability or agility in your legs. Um, and then, yes, we do need to be able to do at least one or two pull ups in order to like be able to hoist ourselves up to get the rest of our body over it. Um, 
But along with that, just building up grip strength. Because um, like most of the hanging obstacles um, or any of the hanging obstacles, you're not necessarily pulling up. It's more of developing that strength to be able to hold on with one hand while you transition with the other hand. Um, and then also building up that core control to be able to control that swing that's needed from rung to rung, ring to ring, etc. Um, because if you don't build up that core strength and you try to do everything from just the shoulder, you're going to create an injury for yourself in the shoulder area when you do that. So um, I guess the short version of that is just building up like overall body strength and getting yourself to be able to just like jump a little bit strong, jump, jump a little bit more, get your core strength built up and um, being able to do a nice controlled hang. You need to be able to hang on one arm, not just two, because you do need to make those transitions. I'm feeling like I want to cancel my goal, Nicholas. <laughs> oh, I thought you just got permission to build like a jungle gym set in your backyard. <laughs> the whole time I was like, oh, basically just go back to elementary school and just be, be, be 10 years old again is what you hey, want. Hey, that's do. pretty much what it comes down to. Just got to be a little bit stronger because you weigh a little bit more now. But, um, but yeah, that's what it comes down to. Just be a kid again. Yeah, it's the um, exuberance in those motions that uh, I'm challenged with, not the desire to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you used the word exuberant just made you sound 10 years older. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I don't have the exuberance word. these days, Doc. Yeah. No, I, I see it. I, I mean, at the gym, you know, there's a section for uh, the mat training and the different um, uh, exuberances. Exuberances. Thank you. I am not uh, not partaking in. Uh, and, you know, they got the boxes that you can jump up onto. And I'm like, man, I remember when I could do that. And I, I got to get that, that mental block out of my head because there's no reason why I can't start to just jump up onto that box. I just, I need a training box. Get a couple, like, what I normally, for people who are, like, deathly scared of jumping, like, I'll just have them grab, like, maybe a 25-pound plate. And jump up on that. Get used to that. And then maybe 45 pound plate. Get used to jumping on that. And just building yourself up to that. Because like no, nothing says you have to start out at 20 inches or whatever the box is. Um, just get yourself comfortable with jumping first and go from there. Uh, two years ago, I would have argued that point. There's all <laughs> sorts of good reasons to jump immediately to 20 inches. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Stop saying I can't do it. It's ridiculous. I'd much rather be hurt. <laughs> You know, talking to somebody like myself that does uh, more of a just your basic standard old school weight workout, um, you know, my focus, I a couple times a week I get in, it's an all body thing. Um, just try and do all the machines. I don't knock myself out necessarily, but I'm just slowly and incrementally increasing my weight and doing the reps. And that idea there is just, again, I can feel the, the benefits of making my body strong. Uh, so now I'm ready to start thinking about transitioning into some of these more uh, flexible-based um, lunges, squats, and stuff like that. So what what are some, what's some of the guidance you would give to somebody that's like, I'm just a, I'm a little afraid. It's a new it's a new thing over there. <laughs> absolutely on the absolutely. mat. Um, to transition off machines, where I would start first is kind of just some of your bigger basic movements that are functional movements to our daily life. Starting to work on squats, even if it's just using body weight, but just getting used to that motion. Um, or maybe you're hold, like holding dumbbells or putting just an empty barbell on your back. But squats is such a basic motion of life for sitting, 
on a chair, standing up from the toilet, doing all that stuff. Um, that squ- adding in squats and adding in deadlifts. Because once again, anytime we pick up something from the floor, we're basically doing a deadlift. So total, like very much a functional motion of life. Um, so I would start there. From there, where I progress all my runners to as soon as possible is doing whatever we can single leg. Um, so first off, we still need to make sure we have good control on a single leg, like I talked earlier. Um, but what are called Bulgarian split squats, where one leg is up on an elevated bench in, um, behind you. Um, Bulgarian split squats and single leg RDLs are my all-time favorites for, for runners. It's because it's such a functional movement. It helps with so much control on that single leg, which is so important for running. And uh, so uh, you just said RDL, which I think is Romanian deadlift. Could you explain that? Yeah. So Romanian deadlift on two legs is basically you're keeping those knees for the most part straight. They'll bend just a little bit. So it's different from a deadlift. Typically the weight's going down maybe to your knees, depending on your, your flexibility and your hamstrings. And then you're coming back up. A single leg RDL is basically that same thing. Um, think of the little, um, we call them dippy birds, the little like lawn ornament, little bird guy. Yeah. Um, a bird, I think wanted to sit my window. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, think about the dippy bird and that little guy. So basically a single leg RDL, you're doing that same motion, but one leg is coming off the ground behind you. So think of your body and your non-way bearing leg as a unit and they're moving together on the axle of your other hip, basically. What are some of the things to be focusing on in that moment uh, so that you don't blow your back out or yeah <laughs> pull, so, pull an old man <laughs> so one don't try to go past the motion that your flexibility in your hamstrings will allow so if all you can get is bend to like a 45 degree angle awesome just come right back out of that we don't want to curl that back to so you can try to get a little bit further um the other big thing and this is more of for a when I'm talking about movement compensations the big compensation I see both because of weakness and tightness in the hip is as you're coming down rather than that pelvis staying level the non-weight bearing leg that pelvis is shifting upwards so you'll see this pelvis go from straight flat to like this rotated we want to keep it as flat as we can um because that's where that hip is firing at its um at its best and so um, if you notice yourself, and you may have to take a video of this if you're doing it, um, have someone watch you. Um, but if you notice that that pelvis is coming off, you're going too far into the motion. We really need to back that motion down in order to really dial in that control of that pelvis first. I started to, to zone out there a little bit because I was, I was doing my plan. I was like, okay, so I got that. <laughs> okay, and then I got to do that. And then I got to do that. <laughs> And then, so one of my, uh, one of my buddies who, uh, is also wants to get into Spartan racing, he, uh, he, he gave me a present, um, which, uh, I'm angry at him. He gave me a Bulgarian bag. Have you heard of those? No, I'm intrigued. It's ba- it's a 25 pound bag. That's kind of shaped like a crescent, but then the, the ends of it are just the bag that has like nubbins. So you have to like use your grip strength to hold it. And then you do a bunch of functional weight. Like bearing things um it's kind of a punishment bag i think i don't know maybe he was angry at me that's <laughs> what Bulgarian punishment bag so what you described there so you now you're, you're going to take the weight that you would use in a squat and now you're going to add to that the need to increase your grip because your fingers have to hold it in a way that is not as that that puts that strain on them is that is that what i'm hearing the way that it's set up 
the Bulgarian Bulgarian punishment bag. Oh, so so yeah. Instead of having like handles that you can do a full grip Just, around, they're basically sure. big. Like imagine like the a big cow udder. Like I'm not sure why he had to go there. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know, but it's ways. yeah. So it's basically, but it's all like, anyway. it's soft and squishy and a little sick, sure. uh, slick because it's leather made from leather. So like you got to hold that sucker to be able to work with it. So um, would imagine that is good for grip strength also. Yeah, gotcha. absolutely. Super interesting. I was I was imagining those old uh, infinite reversible snakes that we had as kids. Remember those? those little... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to hold on to 25 pounds with that thing on the end. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah. So it's basically just a um, let's take let's take 25 pounds and make it as hard to hold as possible. And then you have to do stuff with it. I would imagine that's a good combination of things. So if you're going to do the Spartan race versus just road running yeah yeah so uh, uh i'm just making a list of things i've currently been avoiding yeah <laughs> you're gonna have to tell me how that works out because i don't have that on my bucket list no yeah uh it's gonna work out poorly <laughs> sure <laughs> well, at least I, can, I can pre-comment on that one <laughs> so you you threw out running on the trail um tell us a little bit more about your uh running activities what are the things that you like to do what are the, what do you focus on yeah i much prefer trail i was a road runner for years i ran well i should i ran cross country and track in high school and college definitely preferred cross country over track because running in the circle gets really really boring um <laughs> and then once i was done with that i started doing uh, marathons half marathons some road, some trail. Most of my training was on road. And then I moved to Phoenix. And for whatever reason, about 10 years ago, I decided road running is really, really boring and much prefer going to the trail. <laughs> we, we experimented with, uh, well, we, we haven't been out in a while. We started running trails quite a bit. And then we, we dialed it back just with the different type of uh, races that we got into. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoy getting out and running on the trails. Um, and so I can appreciate that it does bring a whole different dynamic to what you're doing. It does. Um, I mean, one, it just gives you more things to look at, but, um, it just makes it, it's, you have fun intended. You have to be on your toes, like for real. Um, like there's so much, depending on the trail you're on, but there's always something technical going on. Like you have to make sure you're not going to roll your ankle or fall or trip or do this. And, and uh, so there's, there's just so much more going on that you just have to be more, more aware and in the moment of what you're doing. What was the uh, uh, documentary we watched on the uh, presidential physical fitness? Funding? Oh what was yeah. That? The, um, the, the motivational factor was that motivational it? factor. So they had a, uh, by the way, look that up. If you haven't already watched it, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. We were just, oh, yeah. my girls, the girls I trained with, we're all in the same age group. We're all young 40s. And we were just, their kids are going through some of those tests right now. We were just joking about, like, remembering back to those days and going through those. And yeah. Yeah. So that's, this is, it focuses on a um, cycle of kids from the 60s when it was really actually properly implemented. Again, watch it. It's a great, great movie. But I'll focus in on one point, which is one of the uh, students uh, you know, fast forward 40 years later, he's in his sixties and one of the, he was doing, uh, like the little batons and moving them around his head. And what he was talking about was not just the physical activity, but the brain and mental activity of having to do complex motions. 
And uh, trail running to me really brings both of those together. As you mentioned that, uh, what it takes, not just from a muscular stability to be able to move your head and torso in a direction you're not running so that you can avoid a route and look ahead and all that stuff, but what it takes for your brain to process all of that at that rate is also hugely beneficial. Absolutely. And it makes me think of, um, I've been watching, well, I've, I'm done watching a few season four now, but the F1 series on on Netflix and how much reactivity testing or drills they do, or reaction drills they do as the drivers. And, and yeah, it's the same thing for the trail. Like you need to be like your reaction time needs to be on point if you want to be able to respond and not roll something or not trip on something um, when you're on the trails. Yeah, otherwise you're going to earn yourself a golden helmet. Golden helmet or a boot or a, who knows well, we, we have a we have a prize to our group. Uh, whoever falls down the most in a given year gets awesome. the golden helmet. Right. Uh, the best part is we haven't ran trail this year. So the winner last year, this, the he's inaugural still the owner. winner, he's going to have a carryover. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a, a running group that you, you participate with? Do you still run in races? Are you training for anything specific? Yeah, I don't have a group I run with specifically um, anymore. I still do run. Um, it's more just kind of me getting out by myself or my boyfriend and I will get out together. Um, I Race-wise, most of what I do is Spartan or some other obstacle course racing. Um, and then for me, um, I train a lot of CrossFit. I compete CrossFit. So I do a lot of competitions CrossFit-wise. And then the obstacle course racing and the running, like that's just kind of like my fun time. Uh, since you do a lot of Spartan races, what what are uh, two or three of the obstacles that I am going to fall down and oh, yeah. die Tell on? me where I need to be standing. Yeah, because Nicholas <laughs> wants to have a GoPro ready right there. Well, let's start here because they will vary. Um, are you are you looking at running a sprint or a super? Uh, whatever the ten k is. Okay, for super. Let damn it, that's the super. Sweet. <laughs> I'm so glad you just inadvertently picked the super. <laughs> I'm an overachiever. Let's see. Where will you fall? I'm going <laughs> to say, have you ever climbed a rope before? Uh, not since 1987. Did you make it to the top of the rope in 87? I mean, because the question barely. is. Yes. Okay. Barely. You did? Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. I wouldn't have. <laughs> so yeah, you maybe. had to or you got a B. <laughs> and I had a, I had a, I had, I had a 4.0 going. <laughs> Oh, I'd given up on that a while back. <laughs> All right, so the uh, the rope climb. I'm gonna say the rope climb. Um, let's see, because there's tech a lot of technique. Um, the beater will probably be another one. That what's that one? Fun. So it's similar I thought you said to beer, bars. and I'm like, I'm gonna drink the beer just. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That's my strength. <laughs> <laughs> beater, good try. B a t e r. Um, oh, okay. Think like. An egg beater. Um, the similar to the monkey bars, but some of the rungs basically spin <laughs> and they go like up and down. Oh, nice. So okay, good. You have yeah. to be able to get the distance and control the spin and the height and all that fun stuff. Oh yeah, you're definitely going to want a GoPro oh, right man. there. Nicholas. Is there mud? <laughs> what's what's what? What do you land when you miss one of those? What what happens? What do you land in? Uh, 
Depends on where you're running it in the terrain. Could be muddy if it's a really wet course or dirt. It's going to be yeah. dirt. I'm going to be doing yeah. it in California in October. So I'm just going to, it's going to be hard pack. So I'm definitely going to have, uh, you know, I'm going to break something. It's going to be Are the you best. doing SoCal? Yes, just uh, whatever close to LA. Okay. Yep. SoCal. Why are you going to be there so you can catch me? Is that what we're doing right now? <laughs> well, now that you're going there, maybe. All right. I mean, it's a five-hour right. drive, six-hour drive for me. <laughs> yeah, and it'll be very entertaining to watch me do it. Exactly. I'm, the entertainment I value will be off. <laughs> they might charge all the other entrants double just so they can watch me. <laughs> well, at least the ones coming up behind you. The exactly. ones that have already passed you. There's you no got to pay double because this guy's going to make back. you laugh like you'd never yeah. laughed before. <laughs> All right, so I want to know more about it, just because so far the names are great. I mean, the the rope climb that's pretty obvious. Uh, the beater. beater, that's awesome. Uh, what's what's the next challenge that's gonna punish Fundy? Is there a Bulgarian uh, snake <laughs> grab or something? Um, let's see. As far as hanging, Twister's a fun one. Um, the Twister. What's takes, that one? Takes a lot of exactly. takes more grip strength than anything else. Um. They are, it's a long line of small handles that are probably like maybe six or eight inches. And you basically have to work yourself down the entire line of them. Um, The caveat is they spiral around it. So as you like, one will be straight down, the other one will be like to the side. And so they like continue to like spiral and drop as you go. Um, Oh my God, this is going to be so How many of those do you have to go through? Is that, I mean, like a dozen? (laughs) Um, How many handles are there? Please, please say more. It's definitely <laughs> please more say than 100. Because there's like two sections. There's one, there's a little bar break just for a stability across the top. And then there's another section. It might be like 12 on each. Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, <laughs> let's not forget that intermixed in here, he's running six miles. Yes. Oh, I love it. I'm so I'll, be, I'll be yogging. When, when are you doing this? <laughs> October. I'll be yogging six miles. You will for sure oh, so have I... calls. <laughs> what, uh, when in October did you schedule this? Uh, I got to go look. I haven't signed up yet, but I think it's like October 23rd or okay, something like that. It's usually later in the month. Yep. All right. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to talking <laughs> about this. I want to get the course map. I hope they, I hope they have the uh, course map designed like a, an amusement park. You know how it's all out of scale and the things that are going to crush you are just like blown out of proportion. That's, that's the course map I want to get for this thing. <laughs> Now, you mentioned you did half marathons, marathons. What are some of your best times? Bundy just ran a four-hour, 53-second. He missed his mark by less than a minute. My best marathon, this is actually the first one I ran. It was Twin Cities. I ran a 3.30. My best half is a 1.30. Well, uh, that's not my current uh, goal, nor my stretch goal. (laughs) 3.30. But, so uh, Nicholas's goal is to get one second faster than me. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's going to happen. Yeah, so I'll, I'll run the Portland Marathon in early October. And we'll, so we have, uh, we have an, an October of, uh, coming up where we, we ribbon each other quite a bit, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> going back and I'm predicting a 401 <laughs> <laughs> I'm predicting I would die somewhere on the course before that happened. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's talk uh, some gear. I, we know that, um, or shouldn't say we know, but to understand that you have a very uh, particular footwear that you love. Yeah, I am very much 
um, more proponent of minimalist shoes. And I know they're not for everybody or not everyone is agreeable to transition into them. But um, like I said earlier, shoes essentially shut the foot down. They don't let the foot work as it's meant to work. Plus traditional running shoes force us into a heel strike. Um, when ideally to decrease the forces on the body, we want to get more to a midfoot strike, which minimalist or at least zero drop at best um, help um, resolve that, that issue. Um, but yes, I am very much more for minimalist shoes because essentially it lets the foot work like it needs to work to get as much power, strength, and control as it can, um, but still protects me from the elements of spiky, thorny things on the ground. I, I'm I'm sore thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not something you want to just jump into, especially if you've been wearing insoles. It's definitely a transition period. And I would imagine it's easier to do for shorter distances than long longer distances as you transition into them or maybe use them intermittently or something. Yes. Um, typically, what I tell people for transitioning is starting almost the same way that you progress running distance like you that whole 10 percent rule type thing it's almost the same thing like first week 10 percent of your mileage in them as long as that goes well the second week let's go 20 percent of your mileage in them if you get to a point that's like you know what they're making me a little bit more sore cool stay there until you're not getting sore and then increase your mileage again another 10 percent um that's the way i have people transition into them and i've never had anyone like develop injuries from that process um, where you get your injuries and where a lot of the companies had, um, especially Vibram had issues when they all started coming out like 10, 15 years ago is people just went straight from regular shoes to those. And like, you're going to get injured because it's working your muscles in a way they've never worked before. So let's try something you've never done before. And let's just go 112%. Exactly. It's going to work great. <laughs> what would be, uh, your guidance to their marketing department to overcome that <laughs> it's just hard to look at <laughs> oh for the shoes they are it's really interesting because like you look at the shoes and they do look weird like i wore them for years i now wear zeros but um i wore them for quite a few years when that was all that was out and they do look weird but at the same time it's like you don't look like someone can be barefoot and it looks totally normal so i think it's just we're not used to it um I think that's the biggest thing is like, it's just something that people aren't used to. So it just seems weird because you won't think it's weird if someone's walking by you barefoot, but to wear a shoe that like hasn't separate, it just seems weird. I, you know, I think it's just more of like what's normal. So if I was marketing to Nicholas, I would just say, you don't look that great anyway. So who cares? <laughs> so that's, that's a good approach. I like that. I like yeah. <laughs> or uh, don't think you looked great before the shoes. Yeah. It's not try that much. Try that one. I say they paint them like feet. You like you could take a picture of your feet and yep. send it to the shoe, and then they could like that would be the custom paint for the shoe, and then <laughs> it's the just shoe, so a bigger have, version so you have of a your fake bare foot. foot on your shoe. That's not going to make yeah. things better. Oh man, I have ugly feet. Even in a Vibram, I would look better with a Vibram on. Yeah. Okay, we we've discovered why Nicholas has never worked in the marketing department of any company ever. That's true. I've I've never been invited to marketing meetings. <laughs> never never even been invited. <laughs> never really pieced that together till now. <laughs> so weird. The things we learn knowing is half the battle. 
That, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, are you a um, also a minimalist with like um, heart rate monitors or watch headphones? I mean, are you out there just stripped down as much as possible? Yeah, I wear a watch occasionally. Um, sometimes because I want to, after the fact, know my pace. But um, I learned years ago, and this is just kind of a me thing. Like I get, I would, I'll get very like. I wouldn't say addicted, but very like needing to look at the numbers and like I wore a whoop for a while and I had to get away from that. I had like I have a Fitbit now that I use at times. And I'm like, for me, like I I'll start being like that person's like, all right, what are my numbers today? What are my numbers this morning? How was like looking on all the stuff? I'm like, how? and I just got to the point. I'm like, I need to learn how my body feels and go from how my body feels. So if I want to know, like. If I'm say going out for on a new trail, I'm just like I'm curious because we know we all know all trails is not fully accurate. <laughs> so if I just want to know like how long a run is, I'll wear my Fitbit and track the distance. But I'm really not using things now to to like set a pace or anything like that, just because I really prefer to let my body work how it feels it needs to work that day, rather than what something in the back of my head is saying I should do. In addition to runwithhappyfeet.com, where can people find out about you, uh, get more information about how to uh, not be an idiot and run better and be healthier? Yeah, so a couple places. My website has a ton of free content on it. I do a weekly blog post or a a post like link to a YouTube video, that sort of thing. Um, That is getyourfixedpt.com. And then I also do have a podcast that I get, um, it's called Highly Functional. I get all sorts of experts and athletes on talking about their journeys. Um, we dive into all sorts of topics on how to just be a highly functional human and athlete. Um, so you can pick up a lot of great information on that as well. Highly functional, Nicholas. I don't think we'll ever be invited on that as a guest. <laughs> we are low functional in many different aspects. It's like point counterpoint. That that would be my role on the highly functional. <laughs> Nicholas, what are you doing this week? All right. Now we have an example of what not to do this week. <laughs> well, Brianne, it has been fantastic talking with you. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, I took plenty of notes on the recommendations of the things that I should be implementing in my life. And uh, I definitely look forward to seeing how this is going to impact my ability to beat Fundy by more than one second on, uh, in October. Thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This is fun. I know I sound like an idiot, but it was really good talking to her about all of the stuff I'm going to have to do for that Spartan race. Oh, you don't you don't sound like an idiot for talking to her about it. You, you sound like an <laughs> idiot for deciding you were going to do it. Same thing. That's what I meant. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you, it's the it's any sort of rope climbing that yeah. uh, that is not up my alley. I don't know what it is. I I. Well, I do know what it is. I'm 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 definitely not strong enough into the muscles that pull me up a rope. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, neither am I, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I think there's a wall there. And then if you can't do the obstacle, you have to do X number of burpees. So I'm going to do a lot of burpees. This training. Practice, practice your burpees. That's probably a good fallback. I'd imagine practicing your burpees is going to get you in shape for the stuff you're supposed to you're supposed to do any. So some of these things, this lifting, this stretching, are you, is there any concern with the hernia or that is actually stronger than it was before? I think it's a, I have a titanium crotch, titanium groin, as okay. Dennis said. You might just go in, it's like hey, preemptively like you do the other side. 
and uh, make sure that I have symmetry in my titanium hipness. The uh, hernia is totally fine. You know, did the marathon. If, if it was going to bust, that's when it was going to bust open. That's a fair point. I really do enjoy talking with this side of the running community. And by this side, I mean uh, the medical professionals, the physical therapy professionals, those that uh, give us the information that we need to know uh, in order to continue to get out there and do our best. And, uh, you know, looking through uh, what I've been struggling with over the last couple of years, I mean, I really am starting to believe that it's, it's wrapped around these injuries I had in my ankles four or five years ago and just really not a letting them heal correctly and certainly not doing the correct strengthening and physical therapy to get past that. Yeah. So, you know, even at minimum guys out there, if you're not doing those functional strength training, you know, the side squats with the dumbbells and stuff like that, that's really, uh, is what's going to help us not be injured. Go out there and buy yourself a Bulgarian snake grab. (laughs) That's exactly what it's called. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Old Crazy Runners. Take a moment to rate and review the podcast and always share it with your friends so they can join in with all of us for these great episodes. And be sure to go by Strava and join the Old Crazy Runners podcast, Strava Run Club, because that's where all us old crazies hang out. It's where we encourage each other to keep getting out there, to keep putting in the miles. And keep being old crazy runners.